You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Rave Report. I'm Lucio Reek, your host of the show, being joined, as always, by Jackson Moore, the publisher of the Bark Board. And Jackson, you had quite a trip in uh, Arizona uh, at Arizona State, didn't you? Yeah, um, the game was a little bit easier to cover than I anticipated. <laughs> it wasn't too difficult to write a 29-0 type of recap, but um, that was a a fun trip. Got to tour the campus a little bit the day before the game. Uh, went on a hike Saturday morning uh, with Paul Leffler and Kenny Wiggins and those guys. That was fun. And um, Saturday, of course, was game day. So after I recovered from that, <laughs> I was ready to, to get to the stadium Sunday. Uh, I, I noticed quite a few uh, fellow Red Wavers couldn't get back home till Monday, and I, I was among that group. So Sunday, I went down to Phoenix and grabbed, uh, checked out a uh, Arizona Diamondbacks game. So. It was a fun weekend. Uh, I had a good time over there. Phoenix and Tempe's is a pretty neat place. Yeah, I, I mean, after a game like that, you, you, you know, you're not really in too much of a hurry to get home. <laughs> 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 you know, you got to take in the sights and and really just uh, enjoy yourself while you were there. Uh, I mean, who would have thought Fresno State would have gone in and completely pitched a shutout? Uh, but they did it in dominating uh, fashion. Uh, if it weren't for um, the offense really struggling to to kind of capitalizing on uh, on all of those turnovers, this game could have really been lopsided, right, Jackson? Yeah, I mean, I was watching that game, kind of thinking like this is feels almost as dominant as when Fresno State put up like almost seventy points on Colorado <laughs> eleven years ago when they came to Fresno. I mean, it felt like that was how wide the difference was in the two teams in that game, but. Uh, simply the Bulldogs struggled to, to finish off those drives and put up a lot of points. So it ended up only being about a third of the margin. But, I mean, yeah, when we talked during the week last week, uh, I was anticipating a close game. And it seemed like just about every day after we recorded, that there was more and more Sun Devils going down with injury. And then by the time Saturday came around, they had Jaden Rashada, the quarterback, ruled out. And another safety was ruled out. And on top of other injuries, it just felt like they were falling apart. And kind of felt like within the last the couple hours leading the game time, it started to get to the point where, okay, maybe this might not be close at all. And, uh, and then it only got worse for Arizona State as they got suffered more injuries throughout the game. Two quarterbacks went down on top of the one they were missing. So, um, you know, not to make excuses for ASU, but, um, I mean, Fresno State was clearly the better team regardless of the health, and it just made it a lot easier that the Bulldogs didn't have to deal with some of those guys. Yeah, it was uh, it was clearly the the case. The defense looked like they were just having their way with with Arizona State. Um, uh, you know, one player, in fact, came away with three interceptions. Right, Jackson? I mean, I, when was the last time a bulldog was able to do that? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stats that are like, when when has this happened ever? Eight turnovers. I mean, one player with three interceptions. Carlton Johnson's been getting national player of the week recognition all over the place this week. Um, I mean, the five picks by the team is a big number. Um, The three fumbles and... Uh, actually, it hasn't been all that long since they've had five fumb- uh, five picks in a game and three fumbles in a game, but to do them in the same game is 
I don't think it's ever happened. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it was just a, a crazy game. It just felt like every time the Sun Devils had the ball, they were coughing it up to the Bulldogs and they were making some big plays, whether it was Johnson making some impressive interceptions or uh, the defense getting into the, the backfield and forcing fumbles. I mean, it was just a total dominance. Yeah, it, it. I mean, the the defense really held its own, but the offense, for whatever reason, struggled to to finish off the drives. Was there anything in particular that stood out to you, Jackson, that could have led to what was causing these uh, these inability to get it into the end zone? Yeah, the pass protection was my biggest concern, especially being down there on the field level and seeing the way that some of those blitzes were getting into the Bulldogs backfield and Mikey took some pretty violent hits. I was getting a little worried, especially, you know, when the score's that wide and we know coach Tedford kind of likes to leave his starters out there as long as possible. So uh, I was hoping that he wasn't going to take a wrong hit at some point. And uh, even after all the, the five or six sacks he took, he was um, pretty spry on the field after the game. So uh, no worries there, but yeah, just uh, it felt like, a lot of third downs, the pressure was getting to him real quick and uh, a couple of drives that the Bulldogs would get into the red zone and then suffer that sack and have second or third and long and or suffer the sack on third down. And um, you know, From what I could tell, it seemed like more of the schematics of the way ASU was blitzing heavily that the Bulldogs were struggling to pick that up rather than uh, just pure offensive line technique. So, you know, at least you feel like it's something that's fixable and something that they can work on um, if it's more schematical and personnel reasons, which looked to be the case to me. There was one instance where a blitz came off the edge and the tight end and a running back had a miscommunication and neither of them tried to block it. And you know, just a lot of instances like that, that can be coached up uh, that I think, and you know, hopefully they won't face many teams that are that aggressive in the first place. They have to even fix some of those things too. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it definitely I I, it, I was a little concerned when um, I kept seeing these blitzers coming after uh, Mikey Keene untouched. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah. I think they were, they were coming after the Bulldogs knowing full well that they've pretty much lost this game. So they're just going to come, they're going to come with everything. Uh, I mean, I, there was instances where there was more defenders coming than there were blockers to, to actually block anybody, uh, which would have left some, uh, probably would have left some wide receivers wide open out in the field because they had safeties blitzing, linebackers blitzing. I mean, mm-hmm. they, was, they were sending the, the whole kitchen after the quarterback uh, just trying to get to Mikey Keene. But uh, I don't know. Is that is that something that the Bulldogs should be concerned with going moving on in the season? Is that something that defenses may look to do and just overall, you know, all-out blitz, Jackson? I mean, I think – some defenses might go that route. I, I think most teams the Bulldogs are going to face are going to have a bit of a identity already, and, and not a lot of teams are going to be that aggressive. But the discouraging part, I think, was just that you know, after ASU established that it could get in the backfield and it could send those blitzes at any given time, that you know, I felt like Mikey Keene was rushed a little bit. And especially later in the game, he had some open throws that were off the mark that were not happening at the beginning of the game. I mean, he completed his first 14 passes for crying out loud. Uh, but then after all these different looks and plays that developed where he was getting hit so quickly, it just felt like he wasn't comfortable getting the ball to his guys. So, um, 
just hope to see them you know, try to keep Mikey a little more comfortable, even if they do get some of these looks. Uh, I mean, at Purdue, he, he was never phased, but in this game, you know, there was a, a pass to Elijah Gilliam in the end zone. Uh, that would have been an easy touchdown. That was off the mark. And I think one to Jalen Moss right after that on third down hit the, the, the grass. So, um, I mean, that's something you worry about that you, you don't want him to get happy feet or get uncomfortable regardless of uh, the scheme that the opponents are facing. If, if they're getting back there to him. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that the Bulldogs are going to have to kind of keep an eye on um, because they're, uh, it's kind of a little bit of a blueprint for other teams to kind of design some uh, unusual packages that will include some blitzes uh, to just get into the backfield and disrupt uh, Mikey Keene. But there were a couple of instances where um, it looked like the the running back in the backfield just missed the outside runner uh, and gave him a free shot at Mikey Keene. Is that something that probably the Bulldogs are going to have to work on is uh, picking up the blocks from the running back position. Yeah, the, it's been a big focus at practice. Even last week going into that game, unfortunately, that it didn't play out all that well. But, I mean, they are spending a lot more time on pass blocking than I've ever seen covering Fresno State before. Uh, usually when you'd see running backs going through kind of their individual drills, carrying the ball and doing the basic stuff. Instead, they're working on pass protection. They've got some scout team defenders also away from the defense to give them some blitzes and looks to get ready for that. So that's been a big focus. And um, I I think Malik Sherrod, even though he's not the biggest guy, is a pretty good pass protector. So if he can get a little more healthy and be on the field more, I think that's going to be a big part of the recipe. Uh, they got to get Elijah Gilliam a little more comfortable. Obviously he's got the size and the strength to handle that. Uh, some of these other players on the running back unit that don't have a lot of experience. So you, know, you got to make sure if you're going to put Devin Rivers out there that he can do that. If you're going to put Jonathan Arsenault out there that he's ready to pass block. So um, that, that's a big part of it right now. And even regardless of what you're seeing, I mean, the Bulldogs could definitely use that extra layer knowing that the O line isn't you know, the, the best pass protecting team in the nation by any stretch. Yeah. Yeah. And things, uh, if they, if they're able to give Mikey Keene time, we've, we've noticed that he's been able to, to find his target, especially Eric Brooks, who, uh, once again came up big, uh, on several occasions in this last game. So it looks like, uh, Jackson, I think we've established our breakout player for this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Eric's made some, some big catches over the last couple of years, but he's never really consistently put up these types of numbers. And who would with all the receivers that Fresno State had last year? I mean, he could have a bigger season than any of, of the NFL receivers had on the roster last year if he keeps putting up over 100 yards a game like he's doing right now. Uh, I think it is going to balance out some. Uh, we saw Jalen Moss make some big catches in this game, and um, uh, they're still trying to get Magdalena going a little bit, that chemistry with him and Mikey Keene. I think eventually those two guys are going to be getting a bigger share of the targets. Um, but with the matchups that Fresno State's had and the experience that Brooks has already, that I mean, that's just been the, the no-brainer go-to. And Jalen Gill as well, and it's really interesting if you're a subscriber and you follow our insider game notes, we break down all the analytics and behind-the-scenes stuff and even the snap counts that everyone's playing. And to give a peek, I mean, Jalen Gill hasn't been on the field a whole lot. I mean, he's playing like 20 snaps a game. Uh, and he's touched the ball like a third of the time that he's out there. He's got 17 catches now on the season and had that big 40-plus yard touchdown grab where he 
mossed a defender and, and ran, ran past another one <laughs> to score that touchdown. So uh, I w- it would be interesting to see if they try to get him on the field more or they just like using him the way they are. But right now, um, I mean, Brooks is the guy. Coach McCann has called him his security blanket as a play caller. And, um, I mean, for good reason. It seems like he's always uh, open and uh, ready when Mikey's ready to get rid of the ball. Oh, absolutely. Everybody knows that if Mikey starts to, to move around, he's going to be looking for Eric Brooks. Problem is, is defense still hasn't figured out a way to stop him. So <laughs> it's uh, it's been helping the Bulldogs kind of uh, move the change, so to speak. And yeah, you did mention that Moss has been able to start to, to come into his own as well. Uh, but what I've noticed as well is the utilization of the tight end position. Uh, it looks like they're getting the tight end even more involved this season than I have seen them in 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 the past few years. Uh, do you notice the same thing, Jackson? Yeah, you know, I was a little surprised they didn't get many targets in this game against ASU, considering the slot receivers still were the main focus. But, I mean, Trey Watson has definitely shown uh, what he can do in the first couple of games. He had nine catches for almost 100 yards in the first two weeks. So uh, I would imagine they're going to try and get him the ball here sooner rather than later after not getting any catches at ASU. I think that, um, you know, once they play some maybe more conventional defenses here, like Kent State and and Nevada, perhaps, that uh, they'll be able to establish themselves a little more with the running game. They really didn't run the ball a whole lot, but uh, they've had to use the tight ends a little more for pass blocking as well. And, um, I just think we're going to see some more overall balance. And that's really when the tight ends are the toughest to deal with, when you just never know if they're going to be run blockers, if they're going to drop back and help with the pass protection, if they're going to leak out, if you're going to have Watson in the slot be a, a key receiving target. So, I mean, him and Jake Bass, they can do a whole lot with. And I think that's only going to grow as the rest of the offense gets more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's uh, it, it's starting to look like Fresno State has, has figured out who they're going to be, what identity they want to take, uh, and it's starting to show. Um, it's starting to, to show the, them getting comfortable, especially on defense. After last week's game, uh, I think they're, they're starting to now uh, get into a groove. Uh, that uh, that Eastern Washington game was a wake up call. Given up that many points to Eastern Washington, they they came into this game uh, like a, a man on a mission, um, and they and they showed uh, what they were wanted to do and how they basically uh, just took the ball away. I mean, how many turnovers was there, Jackson? Eight turnovers yeah eight turnovers i mean that's ridiculous i I don't i've never seen eight covering a game before even you know not involving fresno state those games i've covered never seen seven i don't think i mean (laughs) seen six a few times but seen the bulldogs commit six a few times right (laughs) we don't want to think about those but to get eight takeaways i mean yeah that was crazy and the way they did it was especially exciting for me because it's been really fun to see lavelle bailey play as well as he did the first two weeks but I think the reason why this defense was so good at the end of last year was that the defensive line was just getting a ton of pressure and the cornerbacks were playing excellent coverage. And you know, we saw them play decently in those areas the first two games, but just not the, the, the excellent defense that we saw at the end of last year. And, and I mean, this was excellent in the highest degree at ASU. The pass rush was all over Arizona State. When they weren't forcing bad throws, they were forcing the quarterbacks to fumble even. They were getting their sacks and then... When they were trying to throw the ball, I mean, the defenders, the defensive backs were all over it. Uh, 
they've got a really good receiver in Elijah Badger, and they couldn't find him open at all. And Carlton Johnson and Cam Lockridge were all over him. One of Johnson's picks came on a one-on-one pass to Badger. So, I mean, if that front line and those cornerbacks play like that the rest of the season, this Fresno State team is going to be really difficult to score on at all. Yeah, and especially if they can start now um, as they start moving into conference play, they're going to start facing teams that they're more familiar with. Um, it's it's going to be it, – it's only going to get even better for the Bulldogs. They, they're going to start to kind of settle in and get comfortable and, and really uh, just start to, to turn things on a little bit. Um, but – before they do that, they're they're actually going to have to go through another non-conference opponent here at home. And the question is going to be, Jackson, Mikey Keene looks more comfortable on the road so far than he has at home. <laughs> is, <laughs> is that, is that going to hopefully change this weekend as they uh, take on Kent State here at uh, Bulldog Stadium? I'd imagine so. You know, I, I think the offense got off to a good start against Eastern Washington and then just totally sputtered. And it was a long, what, about 15, 20 minutes of football where the offense didn't do much of anything in that game. Uh, so hopefully that was uh, an anomaly. And we'll see the keen that we've seen at Purdue and at Arizona State and then spurts against that Eastern Washington game. I think that um, the team has learned its lesson. It's hard to apply the Eastern Washington lesson to ASU because you know, obviously the Bulldogs are going to be excited to go to Arizona state and play in that game and um, hopefully make a statement. And they did all of the above. Um, but now that they've known what Eastern Washington kind of tricked, uh, surprised them that they can be ready for a team like Kent state who really has a kind of a similar story, a team that well, obviously at the FBS level, not the FCS, but they've really been a pretty strong team in the last couple of years and played a ton of power five schools. They've been racking up those paycheck games just to keep the budget going and playing all those big teams. But over the off season, they, they really got decimated with the coaching change and uh, pretty much all their star players left. One of them being Dean Clark now at Fresno state safety. So, um, I mean, same kind of thing with Eastern Washington. We thought they've been great in the past, but this year, not so much. And, what do you know? They look like the teams of the old. <laughs> uh, they came to Valley Children's Stadium. So um, yeah, you got to respect Kent State, and you got to you know, be prepared for a program that is not going to be phased by this matchup. But um, no, you got to send a message early and, and get those newer players to lose that belief <laughs> earlier, sooner rather than later. And you know, hopefully, the red wave shows up um, in, in big numbers. It's, uh, I don't know if they're going to trend all the way to a sellout again or not. Hopefully they do. I got to say it was really fun at, at Sun Devil Stadium seeing the Red Wave out there in big numbers and really letting that home crowd have it from the start. I mean, Fresno State chants were going in the pregame and uh, not much was being responded by ASU other than the student section was pretty rowdy and saying some chance that I can't repeat on here. <laughs> but uh, Those didn't last too long, though, because the students had about enough in the second quarter. They all headed to the exits, and throughout the third quarter, uh, there was more red than there was gold. So, uh, I mean, a big shout-out to the Red Wave. They came out. They were loud and proud. And, uh, I mean, it really set the tone even for that game where, um, I mean, Arizona State, the players <laughs> just seemed like they had no faith. And, uh, the fans were just not into it either when they saw how lopsided it was from the start. 
Yeah, things uh, things could have been a whole lot worse, <laughs> but the Bulldogs couldn't get it into the end zone. So uh, that was a different story. Had that had the Bulldogs been able to capitalize on all those turnovers, uh, this thing could have really, really been ugly. Um, and and maybe some of these other Fresno State uh, players that hadn't had a chance to play yet could have gotten an opportunity to play a little bit. Uh, but that didn't happen. Uh, so, uh, majority of the starters stayed in there, uh, up until the end of the game. Um, but, uh, you know, if things, if things start going the Bulldogs way, they may get an opportunity, uh, down the line here, but first they're going to be heading back home here to Valley Children's Stadium. Um, and they're going to take on Kent state, another, uh, opponent that, um, I personally don't know much about them, Jackson, as far as how they play and what kind of scheme they run. But uh, I'm pretty sure you're very familiar with with how Kent State plays. So why don't you tell us a little bit about them and how they they typically set up their their team? Yeah, um, probably the biggest thing that stands out about them so far that the Bulldogs haven't seen is that they are running the ball pretty heavily. Um you know, we saw Arizona State air it out quite a bit. We saw Purdue, um, you know, not very effective in the running game against Fresno State. We saw Eastern Washington really move their quarterback around and throw it a lot. But uh, Kent State is running the ball about twice as much as they are passing it. And that includes um, some quarterback run game. Uh, not a whole lot, but um, there, there is some of that there. Uh, also, the, the way that they're going to run the ball, we've seen some pretty big backs at Arizona State and at Purdue. Uh, Kent State's got like a five foot eight sophomore back there. Again, you know, you never want to typecast these guys because we know the Bulldogs have a guy like Malik Sherrod, who is not the biggest, but as probably one of the strongest pound for pound on the team. So you, know, you don't count them out. But um, I mean, definitely a, a different look when you see a five foot eight, 180 compared to a six foot 210 back there. Um, so, I mean, that's really the biggest thing that stands out to me, uh, this defense that they're coming with, and we'll get into the specifics as we go, but more interceptions than sacks. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, they haven't gotten in the backfield more than their three sacks say, uh, but the four interceptions is pretty impressive uh, from what I've been hearing from the coaches talking around. They are uh, pretty impressed by Kent state's secondary play. So um, running offense and pass defense is kind of going to be their MO, it seems like. And, um, you know, you hope the Bulldogs, if they uh, can pass protect, uh, that the offense will be able to get more comfortable. And if uh, the defense can do what it's done already this year and, and shut down the running game, that, I mean, they could be in really good shape. If they make Kent State pass the ball, uh, they don't have very much experience at quarterback. And frankly, I'm not sure how talented their QB is either. So, Stop the run, force them to pass. Uh, could be another big day for the defense. Yeah, yeah, this is uh, definitely something that uh, that could help out Fresno State. Uh, but let's let's go ahead and start digging into it, Jackson. Let's uh, let's let's take a look at the matchups. Fresno State's offense taking on this uh, Kent State defense. How do they match up? How do they look on paper? Yeah, looking at Kent State's defense. Um, you know, they, for them on the season already, what they've done, they've had to play a couple of tough games. They went to UCF and they got throttled 56 to six. Then they went to Arkansas and the defense actually held up pretty well. Um, 
it was a 28 to six loss. Eventually they only gave up one score in every or all four quarters. Um, you know, they didn't give up a ton of yards to Arkansas. The Razorbacks finished with 308 yards. Um, but yeah, they didn't force any turnovers and, uh, you know, not those explosive plays on defense that you kind of need to turn the game. Um, and then they held uh, an FCS opponent to 10 points last week. So, um, just looking around at the personnel wise, um, you know, there's not a, a ton of stars just because their players left in such big numbers over the last season. But linebacker Devin Nicholson leads the team in tackles with 22. Um, they've got four different players that have picked off a pass. Uh, Jelani Williams and DJ Miller in the secondary have picked off those. Um, looking around schematically, uh, they're going to have uh, a 4-3 scheme, which is uh, almost unconventional, it feels like, these days with the 4-2-5 being the go-to for so many teams. Uh, they are going to have um, your basic four-man defensive line up front. Uh, they've got one real big nose in C.J. West at 6'2", 315. Uh, the other defensive tackle lined up is only 255 pounds. So this is going to be a smaller D-line. Uh, the ends are uh, you know, not super you know, small or quick, but they're going to be uh, 6'5", 245, 6'2", 258 are kind of the sizes of the ends that they're working with. Um, some traditional linebackers to work with. And uh, uh, despite all the players that they left, they've got a lot older secondary. I mean, the majority of the two deep are players that are postgraduates with between red shirts and COVID years still going on and everything. Um, there's only one underclassman on the whole two deep for the secondary. So uh, it's an older group has got some experience and um Still kind of a, some unknowns with this whole thing, though, because, again, they've lost so many, like Dean Clark, and uh, new scheme, new coaching staff. But the good news for Fresno State is that they've got three games worth of film to, to look over and see exactly how they're going to uh, approach the dogs. Uh, for me, I, I think that this is a game that should be more conventional. We saw Purdue with five men at the line of scrimmage and forcing a lot of one-on-ones on the O-line that you don't normally see. And then we saw Arizona State just blitz the heck out of the Bulldogs. And I think Kent State's a little more conventional. Um, they've got a few players that maybe don't have a lot of sacks but have gotten a lot of pressures. So this is a test for the O-line uh, to take care of business and handle those guys. And then if they do that, I think everything else falls in place for the Dogs to – uh, get some running game going and air it out a little bit. And uh, I don't expect the Bulldogs to put up a huge ton of points, but I think they will sustain more drives than they did against the Sun Devils. Yeah, if the Bulldogs are able to kind of start to get things going and, and if Fresno State's defense can continue to play as dominant as they did last week, um, this should be a good day for the Bulldog offense. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so on the flip side of, of of the ball, you've got Fresno State's defense taking on Kent State's uh, offense. And, you know, we saw what they did last week uh, against Arizona State. Is it going to be more of the same, Jackson? You know, I mean, I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that's how it looks every week. Uh, um, but I do think this matchup kind of sits well for them to, to maybe, you know, not any takeaways, but uh, to do some of that. Um, Again, this is not a overly impressive Kent State offense. Uh, they did only score um, six points in each of their first two games. They uh, against better opposition, of course, but uh, and then they put up thirty-eight against uh, Central Connecticut last week. Um, 
again, they're going to try to run the ball, and that hasn't worked out very well for Fresno State's opponents so far. Um, uh, it would surprise me if Kent State has a super productive day in the running game. I mean, they might execute it better than Purdue and Arizona State did, even if they're smaller. But um, I, I just I don't see it breaking off a ton of big runs or causing fundamental problems for Fresno State. So um, then you got to put the quarterback in there, the ball in their quarterback's hands. Uh, Mike Olameo, uh, he's a guy that, again, hasn't played a lot before this year, got the call to start this season as a redshirt junior. Uh, coincidentally, he did spend some time at Purdue, so uh, I don't think that factors in much, but just a bit of a coincidence there. He has a Power 5 transfer, um, so you do have to worry about him a little bit from a talent perspective, but as far as what he's put on the field so far, not overly impressive. Uh, the running back that has really led the way for them offensively is um, Gavin Garcia. He's carried the ball 57 times already for 238 yards, two scores. Again, not a huge running back, um, not a, a, but I mean a smaller running back at five foot eight. Uh, they've got a few other um, change of pace guys that they'll also give the ball to a little bit. But Garcia is going to be the workhorse for them. Um, and then receiving wise. Uh, few pieces there. Again, they haven't thrown the ball very successfully so far, so not a lot of big statistics there, but um, they do have Trell Harris, who's got over 200 yards on the season. Uh, Krishan McCray's got another 100. Uh, former Bulldog Isaiah Batten is on the roster. doesn't look like he's quite in the rotation, but uh, he was a walk-on here and got a scholarship there over the offseason, so a bit of a storyline there. Um, but you're going to see a team that is going to run the ball a lot, but from a spread formation and um, they're going to put three receivers and a tight end out there most of the time, but they're going to try and uh, keep you off balance with their running game. And I think this all kind of fits well in the Fresno State's game plan and their scheme for what they like to do. Yeah, it, it should be, um, it, it should bode, bode well for the, for the Bulldogs as far as, the matchup here, so uh, I'm kind of kind of interesting to see if uh, they're going to be able to pick up where they left off last week. If they can continue taking away the ball, um, they they could be ranked as the number one defense in the nation guys, <laughs> if they keep going the way they're going. <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah, this this could be fun to watch if if everything falls into place for the Bulldogs. Um, the then this place could be rocking here uh especially if we can get near a sold out crowd uh, i know we had uh, pretty much a sold out crowd for the last matchup uh i don't know jackson do you think uh, another possibility of a, a, a huge crowd here at home no i hope so the team being three and oh and beating two power five teams on the road i mean it's a pretty impressive way to start the year even if arizona state was not what we anticipated it would be. Uh, I mean, this is still some things that hasn't happened in quite a while around Fresno State. 3-0, 2-0 even hadn't happened for a decade. Um, Fresno State's the only team in the entire nation with two road Power 5 wins right now. Um, I mean, 3-0, and uh, back-to-back home games now. Um, Bulldogs did spend a pretty good chunk of money to get Kent State to show up here just to have a home game because uh, – the BYU was at one time on the schedule and their whole conference situation really messed up the Bulldogs non-conference schedule. And they uh, had to really, really scramble just to get this home game to be played. So hopefully 
uh, they get rewarded by the red wave with a big crowd. Um, I, you know, I can see how the last home game was pretty nerve wracking and you know, some fans that were ready to see this team dominate, uh, didn't get to see the show that they were expecting against Eastern Washington. But, um, you know, you hope that was a bit of an anomaly and that this will be one of those types of games against Kent state. The dogs are t- favored by four touchdowns, just a couple of points less than they were against Eastern Washington. But I do think this game matches up quite a bit better. I think Kent state is not, terrible by any means, but I think the matchup is worse than what Eastern Washington had schematically. So uh, I I think this is a game where Fresno State won't have to be sweating it out too much, but probably still won't be in the massive uh, blowout range either. So um, as I get ready to make my prediction and our our board staff predictions later in the week, I think it's going to be probably not as lopsided as maybe some of the others will be, but that it won't be close uh, when you watch it on the field. All right. Well, there you go. I, Jackson has given me hints on on how I should make my prediction this week. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but uh, we saw how the defense played and the offense. But one one uh, one of uh, facet of the of the Bulldogs was the special teams, and Jackson they they were on the field quite often, especially kicking field goals. So yeah. so how is how is that going to look uh special teams wise uh against Kent State here? Yeah, I mean seven field goals Dylan Lynch made five of them. Uh one of the misses was a, a real long shot right before the half, so um it's hard to blame him too much for that one and uh, he I mean five for six for the others. So doesn't get a whole lot better than that. <laughs> um it was rather discouraging every time the kicking team had to go out there for the offense because you hoped that they were going to put up touchdowns. But I mean, that group went out there and handled business. Um, haven't seen a whole lot from the rest of the special teams units. They did pin a punt at the one yard line, which was a, a nice play. Um, uh, I know Kent State's going to have one of their top receivers, Krishan McCray, involved with the kick return game. So we'll have to watch out for him a bit this week. And, um, but, I mean, Lynch, that was a big game for Lynch because they've been talking about how Abraham Montano is coming off of injury and that maybe once fully healthy that he could reclaim his spot. But, I mean, if you kick in five field goals, it's going to be tough for him to uh, be willing to make a change at that point. Yeah, so it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how special teams progresses throughout the year. I mean, we've got uh, Lynch, who is... Uh, you know, not making every single kick, but he's making a lot of them right now. Uh, special teams, uh, as far as kick returning, not really been a factor yet so far this year. Uh, of course, there hasn't been very much room for for either returner to do anything at this point. Uh, so maybe uh, Baxter, Coach Baxter, will will start to kind of devise a game plan as the season progresses. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's it in a nutshell for Fresno state, uh, coverage in the past week and, uh, and getting you ready for this upcoming game this weekend. Uh, but with that being said, we're going to turn our attention now to what is happening in the mountain West. And, uh, right now the, the current standings, which, uh, I have, I have last year's standings up here. I don't know why I have <laughs> last year's standings. Um, for whatever reason, the, uh, Mountain West website is only putting me on last year's standings. 
what is going on here, Jackson? <laughs> Mountain West website is not updated correctly. So I'm going to go find a different source. Uh, uh, they need to get with the program because we already had a conference game here last weekend. I was um, impressed to see Air Force beat Utah State in the matter that they did. And now we're going to have two conference games coming up on Friday. So, I mean, not quite time for Fresno State, but it's getting real <laughs> this weekend. Yeah. Uh, especially, yeah. Yeah, if they're if they're giving me the wrong information, they're giving me 2022, I'm, and I can't I can't access 2023. So I'm going to a different source right now. So as of today, we have Air Force and Fresno State, the only two Mountain West Conference uh, teams uh, to be undefeated so far this year. Uh, both teams are sitting at at the top at three and zero. Then right below that, uh, you've got UNLV and Wyoming at two and one. Uh, then you have San Diego State at two and two. Uh, then you have Boise State and New Mexico at one and two. Hawaii, San Jose State, both at one and three. Then Colorado State, zero oh and two. Nevada, zero oh and three. And it looks like Utah State is also one and two. So overall, that is the that is where all of these teams are landing so far this year in the Mountain West as we get closer and closer to conference play. Now, that being said, uh, the games this week are going to start, um, what, uh, on, on Saturday, I guess? Yeah, on Saturday. Uh, so... We, right, we've got two conference games on Friday because I know I'm going to be at one of them. <laughs> the, the San Jose State Spartans are going to host Air Force on Friday. Got it. And um, here it is. I got it now. Yeah, two games on Friday. You got Boise State, San Diego State, and then Air Force, San Jose. Uh, that will be on Friday, right, Jackson? So yeah, and I mean two major matchups. I mean four teams that were all picked in the top half of the conference all going head to head on an opening Friday. Uh, it's going to be fun. They're both going to be at seven thirty. They're both going to be nationally televised. So, uh, I mean, what a way to start really conference play after the, the one game last week, uh, uh, San Diego state's an interesting one because I've been reading they're like 10,000 seats short of selling that game out <laughs> against Boise state. And, I think we can assume right now that Fresno State's home game against Boise State is going to sell out at 40,000 plus. So, I mean, the stories of the Aztecs fan support continue to, to struggle there. And you know, Boise State usually brings a, a pretty good crowd with them to games like that. So that should help them with their ticket sales. I, and two teams that are kind of unusually struggling right now, um, both teams under 500 and both teams are used to being at the top of the conference. So uh, I think... San Diego State is struggling worse than Boise State, and that the Broncos are going to win that one uh, rather convincingly, uh, unless it's a low-scoring game. And then I'll be at San Jose State, and man, are the Spartans going through a rough schedule. Uh, I think that they are just as good as a lot of teams at the upper half of this conference, but they had to lose to USC and Oregon State right off the bat. They go to Toledo and have a nail-biter that they just barely lose 21-17, to and now they got to face Air Force, and then they're going to have Boise State after that. I mean, man, <laughs> it's a, a rough go for them scheduling-wise. And, uh, of course, when you play Air Force, it always comes down to how well you manage that triple option offense. And being a Friday game, the Spartans have one last day to prepare. They had to fly home from Ohio uh, after this last week's game. So 
uh, I don't have extremely high hopes that their defense is going to be uh, too good in this matchup, but if they can pull it off, then that's what they're going to have to do to win that one. Yeah, this is going to be one of those where uh, the loser of this one will have a very tough time getting themselves back into position um, to uh, make a run at the Mountain West uh, Conference title. Um, they will already be a couple of games behind, um, especially if Air Force and Fresno State can continue their their winning streak. Um, they could ultimately stay at the top of 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 the Mountain West Conference altogether. Now, granted, UNLV Wyoming are also undefeated in conference play. Um, I believe. Let me see. Wait a minute. Yeah, there's no other conference games other than Air Force is the only one with undefeated so far in conference play with one win. Everybody else is still yet to play each other uh, because Air Force defeated Utah State. So Utah's already 0-1, where Air Force is 1-0 in conference play. Uh, how How is the overall schedule going to come into play, Jackson? Is that going to be a tiebreaker this year? Um, the only way it should come into play is for determining a host. And that's important for Fresno State when you look at if them, I mean, theoretically, they could be 8-0, Air Force could be 8-0, and then and then they won't have played each other. So uh, determining who would host that game would come down to probably the rankings. I, I know there's a tiebreaker procedure. And they haven't made a big announcement really about the overall tiebreaker procedures because they're going to be have to be a little bit different. And we've seen some conference opt to pick the top ranked teams. Some team conferences have gone through uh, procedures in terms of records against the next best teams because. Um, I mean, that's the thing you talked about these Friday games for teams being tough to get back in the title race. I mean, Boise State, San Diego State, and Air Force San Jose State, those used to be interdivision games where if you lost that but won your next seven, you were guaranteed to have won your division. Um, but now, without divisions, I mean, you could lose that game, win your next seven, be seven and one, and still miss the championship game or be the on the wrong end of a tiebreaker at the end of the day. So it just in general, every game means a little bit more and, you know, there's no real way to slide in through the back door in terms of being that five and three division champion. I mean, you pretty much need to go eight and oh or seven and one to get to that championship game now. And, um, yeah, so even a game in late September is going to be critical for making that championship. Yeah. And I, I know I said that they, they were going to have a tough time getting back in it, uh, in especially this early in the season. But uh, I, I think you and I are both in the consensus that in order for you to get to the championship game, you can't lose any games. <laughs> so uh, right now, uh, Fresno State still has one more non-conference game. If they're able to come away from that game unscathed, they're gonna ha- they're gonna be in the driver's seat in order to uh, to get to the conference championship game uh, because all they need to do is win their conference opponents. Uh, and they have a, a better record, and I think strength of schedule better than what Air Force has um, to, to pretty much clinch that home field advantage should they win out the rest of the season. Right, Jackson? Yeah, so it should come down to the rankings. And, I mean, Fresno State's knocking on the door. Air Force, even without a loss, is not getting much attention in the top 25. So, um, 
yeah, the Bulldogs take care of business. They'll be hosting a conference championship game, but still a long way to go. I mean, and even one loss uh, could get you in the championship game, but you might not be hosting it. So the, the margin for error is very thin in this new setup. Yeah, absolutely. And so that let's move on to the rest of the games that are happening uh, this week. We've got uh, Wyoming is taking on Appalachian, Appalachian State. That's a tongue twister. Uh, <laughs> and then you've got Fresno State taking on Kent State. Uh, Nevada uh, uh, travels to take on Texas State. Uh, New Mexico travels to take on UMass. Then you've got Utah State uh, taking on... JMU. What does that stand for, Jack? <laughs> James Madison University. There you go. Uh, All right. Not not one that I'm familiar with. So uh, after that, you've got Colorado State traveling uh, to take on uh, Middle Tennessee State University. Um, then you've got UNLV traveling to take on UTEP. And then, of course, Hawaii at home against New Mexico State. So uh, you know, those remaining games, what stands out to you, Jackson? Yeah, just the fact that, I mean, what, there's not a single Power 5 team on the lineup this week <laughs> for the Mountain West. So, nope. yeah, so hopefully they take care of business. I mean, there's some tougher matchups than you'd think. I mean, App State's always pretty good. And you know, hopefully, I mean, for Wyoming's sake, the way that they've been starting off this season uh, with a great win over Texas Tech and a great performance at Texas, even in a – a 20 point loss last week it was i mean they were in that game for three quarters so uh, it, it would be a bummer for them to lose to app state after all that um, even though they're a good team um colorado state middle tennessee state's interesting to me just because i know mtsu played alabama already and colorado state played colorado so both those teams have been in the spotlight when you wouldn't expect them to um you got unlv at utep i mean utep's been a little bit more competent this year than usual. And uh, UNLV is coming off a win against Vanderbilt. So uh, that game on the road could be another good test for them. James Madison, even, uh, I mean, they pulled off a win against Virginia earlier this year and uh, they did beat a Troy team on the road. That is usually pretty good. They had a big winning streak coming into the year. So that's a good test for Utah state. Um, well, probably the only one that discourages me a little bit is probably uh, Nevada at Texas State. I think that's going to be a tough one for the Wolfpack, the way that things have been going for them. Um, New Mexico also not looking great right now, having to go across the country to UMass. Uh, and then Hawaii gets a home game against New Mexico State where uh, you, know, you hope that's a get-right game for Hawaii because, I mean, they've just lost so much to injuries over the last two weeks and they got throttled by Oregon last weekend. So, if they're going to have any pulse going into conference play, they got to bounce back and get that win. And I think they will, but I mean, it's not looking great for them right now. Health wise. Yeah, this is going to be, uh, I mean, it's, it's not the matchups that we saw last week and, and, and really, you know, we're looking at some key matchups. Um, but, uh, I think the key games are going to be that those Friday games, Boise State, San Diego State, uh, San Jose State, Air Force. Those are the four teams that are you know really going to be in the mix because they're playing conference championship uh, conference opponents um, and could make or break uh, you know the the season for for any one of those teams. Um, but as far as any of the other games, uh, Wyoming, Appalachian State. That I think that should be a fun one, Jackson. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Appalachian State is uh, is no pushover, as we've seen over the the years. They've really uh, catapulted catapulted themselves into uh, into the mix and wyoming um should have their hands full with this team right yeah the line right now i'm looking is less than a field goal for wyoming at home so it's about as even as you can get um and it's going to be a fun conflict of styles too because you know wyoming's kind of that smash mouth old school team and app state's usually a pretty dynamic high scoring offense uh, they had another one of those thrillers against north carolina earlier this year and I mean, all their games have been shootouts, so it'll be interesting to see which team can control the tempo and, and make the other one uncomfortable because something's going to have to give. Yeah, and I'll be kind of interesting to see also um, what UNLV will be able to do against UTEP because right now UNLV uh, is kind of in this little bit of a limbo situation where you don't really know just how good they are yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing that impressed me about their win against Vanderbilt was that they basically did it without star quarterback Doug Brumfield. I thought he was going to kind of be the X factor of that team if they were going to be good this year. And they beat Vanderbilt with him completing two passes before he left the game. So, uh, I mean, they've. Uh, I think that coaching staff knows what it's doing over there. But um, I don't think the talent is overwhelming to the point where they can just walk into UTEP and win without playing uh, one of their better games still. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of interested to see just how good UNLV is going to be because they've been giving the Bulldogs fits for the last couple of years. So kind of, uh, kind of interested to see just about where they stand um, and if they're going to be able to start to try and catapult themselves into position um, to be one of the top teams in the Mountain West. Now, going back to some of the Friday games, uh, you know, you had mentioned San Diego State not being able to sell out and still has a lot of uh, tickets available. And these guys wanted to go into another conference, Jackson. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they didn't sell out the UCLA game the week or a couple weeks back. I mean, uh, the story that came out this week was that there was 12,000 seats available still for San Diego State, Boise State, and um, just... The lack of support mixed with, I guess, the new stadium, it's a little more expensive. And I think from what I can gather, that's been a deterrent from getting some people out there um, to pay off all the expenses that went into that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate to see. And then on the field as well, I mean, they've kind of tried to change the offense and it's needed a change because they haven't been able to throw the ball there in like a decade, but their smash mouth running game was kind of what set the tone for the rest of the team. And now it seems like they're below average throwing the ball and running the ball. So, um, and they lost a lot on defense. So I don't think they're very strong. And I think also looking at San Jose state with the rough schedule they had, I, I think Boise State and Air Force are, are both going to come out of those road games with wins and kind of set the tone for the standings moving forward with uh, that top half of the conference. Yeah, so this is going to be, uh, you, you know, I, I think the inter- the best games are going to be Friday night and then Fresno State. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, I think those are going to be the best games this week for the Mountain West Conference. Um, maybe you can throw in maybe a little bit of the UNLV UTEP game, but other than that, Really, not really much there to to uh, 
to write home to. Oh, well, maybe Appalachian State and Wyoming. That's going to be another key matchup. So those are probably the only games that uh, will be of any interest um, this week. Uh, but things will start to heat up as we as we get past this week. Next week, I believe, pretty much starts conference play uh, for the most part. Uh, there's still one or two more teams that are, are going to have non-conference opponents. Um, but for the most part, conference play really gets ratcheted up next week. So Bulldogs need to get through this week, and hopefully they will have a sellout crowd. So if, uh, if you haven't bought your ticket yet, uh, get on it. Get out there. It's going to be a fun one uh, and to watch these Bulldogs come back home and, and really try to open up this offense and, and really have this uh, clamp-down defense that they've been showing uh, hints <laughs> of last week. So that's going to be interesting. So keep an eye on on ticket sales. And uh, I don't think the weather is going to be all too hot this weekend, Jackson. So really, yeah. really no, no excuses, really. Yeah, high 87 for Saturday. And I mean, we, I think we've gotten over the heat. And right before I thought we got over the heat, I went to Phoenix and it was like 105 <laughs> degrees over there over the weekend. You so. learned your lesson. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's nice over here. I mean, the players that practice were wearing sleeves uh, in the morning, so long sleeves. So um, yeah, it certainly won't be that way at 7 p.m. on 7.30 on Saturday, but uh, it will not be nearly as hot either. So it should be a nice setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be a nice, it should be nice weather, especially by kickoff. Uh, it should be in in the mid to low 80s by kickoff. So uh, it should be a great evening f- weather wise uh, to go out and and take in the sights. Now, Jackson, before we wrap things up, any final thoughts? Yeah, um, just head over to barkboard.com for more coverage. Uh, we've got updates from practice. We've got uh, more recaps and info from Arizona State. I was there on the field taking pictures and getting insider notes for our VIP members. And uh, also now we're on the Kent State, of course, talking to players and coaches at practice. So if you want to get all that, um, it'll be up on the VIP board. It's just a dollar for your first month to join. It's also 30% off for a whole year if you want to join that way. And um, yeah, stay tuned for all of our coverage of Fresno State football and, and football recruiting. And if you uh, are looking around 24-7 sports as well, which we're part of that network, uh, they've been talking a lot about Fresno State this weekend, about how Bulldogs should be ranked, and uh, they're just outside the top 25 right now. And if you look at 24-7 sports bowl projections as well, they've got Fresno State spotted in the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> I mean, a long way to go, but uh, I mean... Uh, how many time. times has yeah? How many times has Fresno State even been projected for one of those big games uh, after all the the uh, hype and anticipation that there's been for certain years to get there? So, I mean, obviously take that with a grain of salt, but uh, just fun to to see that Bulldog logo next to that Fiesta Bowl logo, even if it's only in September right now. Yeah, and I have to remind everybody: in order for them to get there, they have to go undefeated. <laughs> So, so don't count your chickens before they're hatched. So let's uh, let's root the Bulldogs on and the, and and hope that they are able to make that next elevation into um, into that type of a, a game. But uh, first, the Bulldogs need to take on Kent State and take care of business first there. Uh, so that's going to happen this weekend uh, at Valley Children's uh, Stadium. And Jackson, what is kickoff time? 
It's going to be a 7.30 kickoff, and also the next week is too, if uh, you haven't seen that. Um, there's a few games on this schedule that are going to be announced two weeks ahead of time, what time kickoff will be, and that Nevada game uh, on the 30th was one of those. So uh, if you can count on 7.30, the next two Saturdays be at Valley Children's Stadium, or if you're not in the area, to, uh, to tune in on TV. I believe this week's going to be uh, CBS Sports Network, and next week it's going to be uh, FS1, if I'm not mistaken. So national TV for our out-of-towners uh, for the next two weeks as well. That's going to be music to my ears. Uh, but if if you are looking for Jackson, you can find him on Twitter at JacksonMoore247. You can find me on Twitter at Red Wave Report. Um, and if you haven't done so already, head it over to our Facebook page. Give it a like. And as always, head over to thebarkboard.com where we both we have both free and premium subscriptions. But of course, premium is the is the route you want to go to get all the latest news and updates uh, for the Bulldogs. Uh, that being said, I want to thank everyone for joining us and join us again next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics. <laughs>